My name is Dr. Tram Jones. Starting in December 2019, my wife and I lived in Haiti. Recently, given the current insecurity, we are out of the country, but we continue to support and work with our partner clinic, Lesquati Moon, with its 53 employees on the ground in the city of Quadibouquet, Haiti. Every Tuesday and Friday, the patients and their mothers lined up to see the pediatrician at the Lesquati Moon Clinic. Early in the morning, by 7.30, the patients were outside waiting for the gates to open at 8 a.m., eager to be one of the first 40 they can see the doctor. As the clinic opens, they are ushered in to take a seat in the waiting area. As I used to walk among them, something was very bizarre. Many of these women were among the poorest in Haiti. They predominantly live in one of the poor outlying areas from the capital city of Port-au-Prince. Their life is hard and money is scarce. But I look closer at the children. They are impeccably dressed. Perhaps the clothing is not expensive, but it is clean, cleaner than my clothing. The white looks bleached. These little three-month-olds, unable to walk, have cute little shoes and socks over their tiny feet. But why? Surely these mothers could use this money for food or housing. Why purchase these shoes? Why work to stay clean when everything in the Haitian environment, the unpaved roads, the weather that vacillates either from dusty to muddy, the hard work in the fields, seeks to constantly make one dirty? On arrival to Haiti, one is tempted to assume that this is a purely Haitian idiosyncrasy, something in the culture. But as I was living in Haiti, I happened to read East of Eden by John Steinbeck. I want to read a passage from it. In this section, we have Lee, the son of Chinese immigrants, who works as a servant for his wealthy master, Adam Trask. Quote, he, and this is Lee the servant, regularly wore black broadcloth when he went out of the house. His shirts were white, his collars high and stiff, and he affected narrow black string ties, like those which once were the badge for southern senators. His hats were black, round of crown and straight of brim, and uncrushed as though he still left room for a coiled queue. He was immaculate. Once, Adam had remarked on the quiet splendor of Lee's clothes, and Lee had grinned at him. I have to do it, he said. One must be very rich to dress as badly as you do. The poor are forced to dress well. The poor are forced to dress well. This is a truism in many developing countries. Another time, I was watching an Anthony Bourdain episode in which he had traveled to the eastern Congo, one of the poorest, most dangerous places on earth. As he crosses the border from Rwanda, he starts to talk with a local man, first discussing the local cuisine, particularly barbecue, and then moving on to more loaded topics. This is the local man first. As you can see, people don't eat meat. Meat is quite expensive, almost $2. Anthony Bourdain. Which is a lot. That's more than most people make in a day or even two days. What are the first things you buy if you're very, very, very poor? Very poor? Well, soap. Soap? Because at least you have to look a bit clean. So soap first. Soap. But in between, as Congolese, you have to think of dressing, looking smart, clothes. All these Congolese you can see here. Right. If you give them $10, they will think of at least paying for soap or food and keep maybe $1 to buy a shirt. So that's called pride. Yes, and there's hope. You can plan for tomorrow. For tomorrow. It's an interesting topic. In Haiti, I found that people feared one thing above all others. Anyone who has lived in Haiti knows what I'm about to say. It is rain. In Bouquet, there could be open gunfire in the streets, and our clinic would still have a trickle of patients. They would make it to the gates, quickly entering into the safety of our walls. But if there was a heavy rain, forget it. I remember one day, 
it had decided to rain through the night in the morning, not the typical afternoon shower. Instead of the usual 100 patients, there were zero. Literally zero. The pickup trucks, known as camionettes or tap-taps, that serve as the buses for transportation weren't even running, knowing that they would have no customers. And a primary reason is that the streets are unpaved in most places. Water pools into mud, and the mud licks up into the pickup trucks. The mess is unavoidable, and cleaning oneself is not as easy when you don't have a shower to quickly jump into. As an aside, I always knew that the militia wars of the capital were severe when the gang members would fight even during the rain. I remember coming home one rainy day with muddy shoes. I put them by the door. The next day, I figured I'd just clap them together a few times to get the clods off. Our guardian, Frank, was appalled. He basically begged me to allow him to clean my shoes. It was embarrassing, really. I'm an American. I didn't want somebody degrading themselves cleaning my shoes. But I've talked to a friend in Rwanda who said he had the exact same situation with his guardian. The guardian had been embarrassed that someone under his charge would look so slovenly. I've heard newcomers to Haiti lambast this cultural element. But as I hope I have driven home, this is far from a Haitian perspective. I'm going to go out on a limb and try to explain it as best I can. When I enter Haiti, I come as a white American. It really doesn't matter how I dress. I can go in sweatpants and unkempt hair into any bank. I can waltz into a doctor's appointment straight from bed and be greeted with respect. A Haitian police officer will normally address me with deference, regardless of my appearance. And I'm not trying to feel guilty about this, simply to recognize that a destitute Haitian who dresses poorly is going to get none of that. Perhaps we can use an example that is easily relatable. Imagine you work for a company. The owner of the company, when he's not meeting with customers, can wear sweatpants in his office, maybe go unshaven for a few days. We've all seen the poor fashion style of Bill Belichick, the head coach of the New England Patriots, or the infamous hoodie that Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg is constantly wearing. But employees, those that are working to get ahead, they can't let up. They have to be on their A-game. The same might be said of a society. When you're behind and trying to get ahead, you don't have the luxury of dressing down. This concept, that poor people often feel the impulse to dress nicer than wealthy people, is present in most societies I've come into contact with. Certainly, it's going to look different depending on the scenario. And before we presume that poor people shouldn't waste their money on clothes, I would say that the primary aspect is not necessarily wearing expensive clothes. Now, that might be a part of it in certain areas, but I actually find it to be a minor aspect. Even in the U.S., if you look at the share of household income that's spent on clothes, it's 3.5% for wealthy homes and 3.9% for poorer homes. Not significantly different. The most important thing is cleanliness. Look at the Congolese. They first spent their money on soap. Haitians despise mud because it makes them dirty. My guardian didn't care about how expensive my shoes were, just that they were clean. Much of this is pragmatic. As I said, if you're unclean as a Haitian, you aren't going to be taken seriously at many places. But there is another aspect, pride. I heard someone once say that they had never seen a society more motivated by pride than the Haitian culture. In my experience, this is true. Many Haitians in the slums have very little. They do backbreaking work and have little to no electricity. But all people want some small aspect that they can take pride in. And when you have nothing, sometimes it is only the cleanliness of your child that you can celebrate. After I had been living in Haiti for a year and a half, Hannah and I traveled back to visit the U.S. We went with some friends to the North Carolina mountains for a weekend. It was a pretty summer day. 
The rain had fallen that morning, but by midday, the sun was out in full shine. We decided to hike a mountain in the area. Up and up we climbed, until we finally came out onto a rocky outcropping that gave a view of the entire valley below. Our friends looked down at our feet. How are your feet so clean? They reacted. Hannah and I hadn't given it a thought. We had just skirted all the puddles and always gingerly placed our entire shoe down at the same time whenever there was unavoidable mud. It had become second nature over the last year. We glanced at their sullied and caked shoes, splash marks evident on the sides. There are still these mundane moments when we realize that Haiti has changed us. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. We are simply telling stories as we've seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.